Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Today we're going to wrap up chapter 4, looking at a, a great story, a famous story uh, here at the end of it, and a story that um, in a lot of ways, and, and maybe even some surprising ways, is very fitting for us as we are in the second week of Advent and even uh, lighting the peace candle this morning. So I um, invite you now to listen as we hear this passage read. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow along. It's Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 41. So hear now God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Father, we confess that um, as we come in here, into a room like this. Um, So often we're in a similar place to where we find the disciples here in this passage. And we thank you that as we see here, you speak to us when we're in a place like this. And so I pray simply this morning that by the power of your spirit, you would do just that, that you would through your word, speak to us where we are. For those of us who are in a kind of storm right now, maybe been in one for a long time or not, but we will be, I pray that you'd meet us, that you would open our ears um, to really hear the truth that we find here about you, about your son. And I also pray just for many of us, this might be a very familiar story. I pray that you would, uh, if that's us, awaken our imaginations. Give us a sense of awe and wonder. Um, Help us to hear this freshly. I pray that for our time now, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So this summer, we were driving to the beach, and we were about an hour into our four-hour drive. Everything was going great. All very smooth until it started to rain. And this was not a light rain, not even a steady shower. This was an absolute downpour. 
you know, the, the kind of rain that causes you to immediately slow down, turn your wipers up as fast as they can go, grip the steering wheel, 10 and 2, with both hands, pause the music or podcast or whatever you're listening to, and everything becomes about focusing on the white and the yellow lines and just trying your best to keep the car in between them. As we were weaving our way through South Carolina back roads, this kind of rain came down on us. And though there were a few small three to five minute reprieves we had along the way, for the better part of two hours, we drove through it. And it was easily the worst and most stressed out I've ever been driving in my life. Sarah and I were both terrified and exhausted, not to mention it was really hard trying to manage uh, our kids the whole time in the back, trying to talk to us about why their show wasn't loading and uh, trying to, about how they couldn't hear it, if you can imagine that. But the whole thing was so intense and I had so much adrenaline. It took me like two days to recover and come down from it once we finally did make it through and get to where we were going. And aside from the fear and anxiety, what I remember feeling in that moment, and what comes to me now as I think back on it, is a feeling I often forget, or at least am not in touch with very well, and it's the feeling of just how small I am, just how powerless I am, just how out of control I am of my life and the world around me. I mean, normally I go through my life and I feel fairly competent in some areas, like, you know, I, I got this for the most part. But then here comes this force of nature and all of a sudden I'm, I'm brought to my knees, I'm scared to death, I'm driving 10 miles an hour, just trying to hang on. And that's what storms do. Physical storms, literal storms, from the biggest, most devastating storms to the small in the scheme of things, insignificant ones like we experienced. I mean, this was really just a heavy rain that lasted for a while. That's all it was but also other kinds of storms that come into our life. The date night you were, hope, you were looking forward to, where you thought this relationship, where you found out that this relationship you had really high hopes for wasn't gonna continue. The missed call and voicemail that tells you as, to call back as soon as you can because there's been a terrible accident. The job you lose, the unexpected diagnosis that brings your life to a screeching halt, these moments where this illusion you and I so often live with that we are in control of our lives is shattered. And we're left undone, anxious, and afraid with no clue how we're going to make it to the other side. And here at the end of Mark chapter four, this is what our passage today is all about. Storms. Storms that come into our life and undo us, that terrify us, that leave us in our powerlessness and lack of control, waiting and wondering how to move forward. And in our study this fall of the book of Mark, we're looking at Jesus as our one true king. And today we get to see him as the king of storms, the king of our storms. We get to learn who he is in the middle of them and what it means for you and me as we seek to follow him. And so let's Let's think about Jesus in our storms. And, and as we do, what do we find here in this story? Well, three things that we're going to look at today. Number one, the inevitability of storms. Second, the trouble when you're in a storm. And then third, the comfort you need to make it through. So the inevitability of storms, the trouble when you're in one, and the comfort you need to make it through. So first, the inevitability of storms. So where we pick up in our story, Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching 
If you remember, he's been doing a, a floating lecture circuit of sorts out on a boat, teaching a crowd on the shore about the kingdom of God through all these parables we've studied the last couple of weeks. But now it's evening, and he, he needs a break. And so as we see in verse 35, he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. They do. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. But then something happens. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So Jesus is with the disciples, his guys, they're with him together in this boat going over the Sea of Galilee. And then while they're with them, while they're with him, this great storm comes. And now this is going to be a shorter point than the other two. But it's critical from the start as we begin to look at this story for you and I to see a truth that uh, we often neglect, but that's very important nonetheless, and it's this, that storms are inevitable. And not just in general, when you live your life in a broken world, but storms are inevitable when you follow Jesus, even when you're with him, even when he's with you. Now, there's a, there's a strand of teaching out there that says if you come to Jesus, you won't, have, you won't have to go through storms anymore. That all the pain and suffering in your life will go away. And maybe you've heard that or been taught that before. And it sounds really great, but it's not at all a biblical idea. Just read the Bible. The stories and stories of the people of God over the centuries Biblically, suffering is a very complicated topic, a very nuanced topic, and our goal today isn't to try and explain why hard things happen, why storms come into our life. And according to the Bible, in a lot of ways, you can't even fully answer that question. But what we can pull from here is when you follow Jesus, you are going to have storms that come into your life. It's going to happen. No one is immune. And I wouldn't say that's an encouraging truth. But it's a helpful one. As many of you know, our family has been going through a storm for almost eight months now since our youngest child, Sophia, was born in April. Since she was two weeks old, she's had a lot of serious health issues that we've been trying to figure out. We've been in and out of the hospital. We've seen all kinds of specialists and continue to try and figure out what's really going on with her. But while we were in the hospital, back in July for her to get a feeding tube put in and to undergo some testing, I started reading Tim Keller's book on suffering, essentially his book on storms. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And, and where I was, again, it wasn't encouraging, wasn't exciting to me, but it was a strange help to read his introduction and see him say this as he begins to set up the book. Here's what he says. He says, this book is an effort to take life seriously. I want to help readers live life well and even joyfully against the background of these terrible realities. The loss of loved ones, debilitating and fatal illnesses, personal betrayals, financial reversals and moral failures, all of these will eventually come upon you if you live out a normal lifespan. No one is immune. He goes on and says, therefore, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, 
wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful in our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but as dark as that is, it was really helpful for me. It still is helpful for me to remind me this is the deal. To prepare me so I know that even as I follow Jesus, even as he is the king of my life and I, I live in his kingdom, even as I, I want to serve him with all my heart, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have storms come into my life. Peter, the eyewitness of the gospel of Mark, puts it this way in his first letter, 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So first, this story teaches us the inevitability of storms. But then second, it teaches us about the trouble when you're in a storm. What's so hard about it? Well, there's two things we see in the text. Number one, just the fear of it. Just the plain old-fashioned fear, the anxiety, having to feel your powerlessness and lack of control. Having to deal with that. I mean, that, that's what you see with the disciples. This great windstorm comes out of nowhere, and it's so bad and so scary that according to verse 38, they think they're going to die. And this isn't hyperbole. I mean, this isn't like if you or me were out there in a wooden boat with no motor, and, and a little bit of wind came, or maybe some kind of medium-sized waves, like, and we thought we were going to die. Like, of course we would, because this is not something we're used to. But we, we got to remember, at least four of these men were professional fishermen. And so this is what they did. They did this all the time, and they knew this sea. And because of the geography here, it was fairly normal for them to face high winds on the Sea of Galilee, and so when they're terrified and, and actually and say they think they're going to die, they mean it. It's real. This was probably the worst storm they'd ever faced in their whole lives. And naturally, it scared them. They were terrified. And of course, when you and I are in the middle of a storm, the same thing happens to us. We're afraid. We look at the circumstances around us, and we're scared to death. We can't see a way out of it. We can't see a way through it. We don't know what to do depending on what it is, how, how, we ask, how am I ever going to get married? How are we ever going to have kids? How are we going to make this work financially? How can I recover from this loss for us right now? What are we going to do if the diagnosis comes back and it's really bad? It's terrifying. Dealing with the outer, the winds and the waves around you, there's plenty of trouble in and of itself, when you're just dealing with that. But then second, the, the trouble gets even greater when you take the outer, when you take those circumstances of what you're going through, and then you take them into your heart. Because then we start to ask the question the disciples ask. Verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling 
But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? One of the most ridiculous and amazing things about this story is that Jesus is asleep. He was so exhausted from his long day of teaching that he was, he was knocked out on a pillow while all this is happening. Uh, I played basketball with a guy in college who sort of became known for his ability to fall asleep on a plane. Uh, we would all board the plane and begin loading up. We'd find our seats and, and start to get settled. And of course, this is kind of chaotic, you know, this situation. It, it takes a little time for that all to settle down. It's not really until the plane gets into the air. And it's not uncommon to fall asleep once that happens. And as college guys who never got enough sleep, uh, many of us did that once the plane uh, finally did get settled and, and get up in the air. But the thing about this guy was he would fall asleep within five minutes of stepping foot on the plane. He'd get to his seat, put his bag down, put on his noise-canceling headphones, and he was gone. I mean, he'd be knocked out, like, until he got there. In the middle of everything going on, he could do this. Well, Jesus clearly has a lot going on around him, too. Think about this. He's in the middle of a, a group of guys on this boat that's not that big. So just falling asleep with that going on is pretty impressive. But then, not to mention, this is, he falls asleep during this storm. That's the worst these guys have ever experienced. It really is, it's a beautiful scene of a picture of Jesus' humanity and how Jesus, as a human being, has complete trust of his Father's will to be able to sleep in this moment. Psalm 127 talks about how God gives to his beloved sleep. And so when you think about it this way, it really is this beautiful picture of that. But you understand why the disciples, why that's not where they are in this moment? Why they're not thinking about that? You understand why they're upset. And they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? How can you sleep right now? Don't you care about us? And that's the question. The question that's in all our hearts when Jesus has us in a storm, and it doesn't seem like he's doing anything about it, when it seems like he's taken a pillow somewhere and gone to sleep, don't you care? Don't you care about me? Which is really another way of asking, don't you love me? And this is different from the question of how am I going to get married or have children or make it financially or what are we going to do if Sophia's diagnosis comes back and it's bad. This is, but do you care if that happens? You know, when our kids are small and they fall down and, and get a scrape or a bruise, they, they, what do they do? They come and find us and they look at our face and of course they want us to help them, but most of all, what they say with their face as they look at ours is, do you care? Do you care about me? Do you love me? And as human beings made for relationship by our relational God, made to be known and loved by him in all our storms, this is the question on our face too. God, do you care? Do you care about me? And as hard as it is to deal with the outward circumstances of our storms, as someone who follows Jesus, this is so much harder to wrestle with how he can have you where you are, going through the hard thing and still care about you, still love you. And when you know the answer to this question, when you know it's, it's yes, it doesn't necessarily make this storm any easier, but at least you have something deeper and more solid to hold on to and you, you can make it through. But when you don't, 
When you don't know the answer to this question, you don't know that it's yes, it becomes unbearable because now not only do you have a storm in your life, but you have a storm in your heart. Not just, God, how am I going to make it, but do you even care if I make it or not? And that's what the end of our story addresses. These storms that inevitably come into our life, they produce great trouble for us outwardly and inwardly. Where can we find comfort? Where can we find the comfort we need to make it through? And admittedly, it's a, it's a strange kind of comfort that we see. And one of the interesting things about this passage is the use of the word great, the word mega in Greek, and it shows up three times here. Each one sort of characterizes the, the next movement in the story. The first one shows up in verse 37 when it tells us, and a great windstorm arose. As we've seen, the disciples are terrified by this storm, and so they wake up the sleeping Jesus. They ask him to do something about it, and he does. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. So Jesus comes out of his nap. Maybe he's even still sort of half asleep, and he, he speaks to the storm like you would your misbehaving dog. He's like, stop, quit, calm down, and it listens to him. Second half of verse 39, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So a great storm, Jesus turns into a great calm with just a few words. Not surprisingly, what this does is it produces a great fear among the disciples. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were really afraid while the storm was going on. But the language Mark uses makes it clear they're even more afraid now. More than the storm that was about to kill them, they're afraid of the guy who was asleep and they woke up who told the storm to stop and it did. And they are because they knew what this meant. Psalm 107, among other places in the Old Testament, talks about how only God can control the seas. How only the Lord, God Almighty, can control the wind and the waves, can tell storms to be still, and they'll obey. And here in this moment, the disciples, they, they certainly don't understand everything there is to understand about Jesus and who he is, but they recognize they're in the presence of someone so much more powerful than the storm they were just in. They recognize they're in the presence of the holiness and power of God, and so they're afraid, but it's not just a, a terror, it's a fear of awe and wonder. Back to that feeling of smallness, powerlessness, out of controlness, but not to the storm, to the one who just told it to stop. And this is what Jesus is inviting them to see with his question in verse 40, when he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Another way to say it, where is your faith? Now, I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones says this in her version of this in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She has Jesus saying to his disciples, why were you scared? Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? 
See, the comfort Jesus offers them and the comfort he offers you and me today is the comfort of his power. The comfort of a power that can still any storm with just a word, the comfort of the power of the Son of God, the one who governs every atom and molecule and all creation. And it's the comfort of a power that does care. And that's where this picture of the boat is, is just so helpful and so good. Because Jesus is in the boat. When the storm comes, he's there with his friends. He's in it. And that's the point. Yes, he lets this happen to them. But he's there. He's right there with him. And how much more do we know this to be true today? I mean, what's one of the main things this Advent season is about? The main thing the Christmas season is all about, that Jesus came down to be in the boat with us. That he came down to be with us in the middle of the storms of our life. And not only the storms that come and go, but the ultimate storm. The greatest storm, the only storm that can ever truly sink us. The storm of God's justice. And his wrath that you and I deserve because of our sin. Jesus came to still that storm for us. And how? By being thrown in it himself. By letting that storm sink him on the cross. And Tim Keller and others point out that if you read this story closely, you can actually see a a clear parallel between this and What's going on at the beginning of, uh, in the first chapter of the book of Jonah in the Old Testament? And so Jonah there, he runs from God. He's out in a boat at sea, and God sends another terrifying storm. It's a storm so great that like the disciples, everybody in the boat in that moment thinks this is going to kill them. They think they're going to die. But as the storm is raging on, like Jesus, Jonah is asleep, and so similarly, the people go on board, or on board go and wake Jonah up. And then when he gets up, Jonah knows it's his fault. He knows the storm has come, knows the storm has come as a result of his sin of running from God. And so he says, I know how to stop the storm. All you have to do is pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll stop. And that's what happens. They throw him in, it stops. Jesus came to still the great storm for us by doing the same thing. Except this storm is completely our fault. He's totally innocent. We're the ones who should go into the sea, but Jesus says, no, let me go in for you. And see, this is the way you and I can know forever that he cares. It's how we can find comfort, no matter how terrifying and unrelenting the storm in the power and love of our King even if the storm never stops, even if it does sink us here and now because we know it can never separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord because of what he's done for us. We have an anchor. The king of the storm, the one who's in the boat with us. And so wherever you are today, whatever storms are raging in your life, no matter how small and powerless and out of control you feel today, 
This is the good news of the gospel. This is the king you have. And I know this is the truth I need today. And I need in this season that we're walking through. Again, I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones ends her version of this story. She says it this way. Jesus' friends had been so afraid, they had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of, no matter how small their boat or how big the storm. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that this is who you are. I simply ask for me and my friends this morning that we'd be able to believe it and rest in it and anchor our lives in the middle of the storms we go through in your great power and love for us that we see most of all at the cross. Pray this in your name, amen.